Hey, welcome to another episode of the 40 Athletes Live podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Holder, along with my good buddy, Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, what's going on today, man? Hey, excited to be with you on a beautiful, again, feel like it's spring weather, 60-something degrees, or almost 70 in Kansas City yesterday. Man. Looking forward to it. Springs are coming. So, hey, I'm just glad the sun's out, quite frankly. I feel like yeah. there's like two weeks of just snow and, and uh, cold weather, so... Uh, but man, I'm excited today because we have somebody pretty unique to our platform that we haven't really uh, dove into. She's a former gymnastics uh, or gymnast, a gymnastics coach, um, experienced strategist. And, you know, have you ever heard of uh, Cirque du Soleil, by the way? I have not. You never heard of Cirque du Soleil? Uh, no, I mean, I, trapeze, my wife tells me uh, I need to get more broad in my horizon. She says I'm well, not very cultured, so maybe you can help me. Um, hey, our guest can help you. I don't know how much I can per se, but for sure. Um, she's also, she ran the VP of the experience team for Search of Soleil. So making sure people had a great experience and she led people from, I think she said like 41 different countries, or maybe she's been to 41 different countries. Either way, she has a broad perspective on what different things, different leadership styles look like across the world. So by, by the um, way, I don't even think you've been to 41 states. And when you said <laughs> experience strategist, I'm like, what yeah. the heck is that? I know. Come on, bring true. it on. Let's find out. I have not been to 41 states. That is also true. So uh, without further ado, we're going to bring on Carolyn Millie. Carolyn, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And you are in Montenegro. Is that correct? I'm in Montenegro, which is in Europe on the Mediterranean. Um, and I'm just I, I travel a lot. So I'm here temporarily. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at now. On the Mediterranean, that's pretty. I've I've been to Europe, but I've not been to the Mediterranean. So that's really neat that uh, um, you're there. And hey Jason, uh, yeah, talking about Mediterranean, you ought to you ought to do your Zeus and Hercules type deal because you know <laughs> you did video on that. You know the gods of Mediterranean, Greece, and that, right? Yeah, exactly. I was like, Zeus, right? <laughs> right, Jason. Uh yes, exactly, absolutely. Um, well, hey, Carolina, you have a bunch of different. Uh, a bunch of experience in in leading leadership, uh, different styles, especially working with Cirque du Soleil. So, um, what does experience mean to you? What is as a as an experience strategist? What are we trying to create with our experiences? Yeah, you you stolen my question on my interview show. It's the one question that I ask all of my guests: What elements make up an incredible experience? And for me, it really starts with how we feel when we're going through something, when we're going through an experience, right? And, and for those of us that are creating experiences for other people, the very first question we should be asking is, how do we want our guests, our audience, our listeners, our customers to feel, our teammates to feel once they've finished with us? And I think if you can get really clear on that question and the answer, then it will help kind of navigate. So that's the very first thing for me. It really comes down about, to how I feel and, and you know, as you mentioned, I've been to 41 countries, I've traveled to 41 countries and, and it's been very interesting to experience so many amazing things and with different people and, and, and in different cultures and with different languages and it all comes down to that feeling, like how something feels in the moment. So that leads everything when it comes to experience and, um, you know, James, you're not the only one that doesn't know what an experience strategist is. I totally made that up. Because I was like, I need to coin a term that best kind of describes what I do. And uh, and that's what I came up with. So uh, I really help 
businesses, individuals uh, really create more impact in the experiences they, they offer. So a lot of times I work with businesses, so I'm really focused on the experiences that they that they offer their employees and their their clients and their customers but sometimes i'm working for individuals that just want to create something you know maybe create a retreat or create an event and so it it, it shows up in many different ways but that's kind of the base so let, let's break that down because i think i want to dive into as a coach because yeah. i think as coaches we're providing experience for our athletes right student athletes and you hear a lot of times where you never want to be the last coach for somebody, right? They quit playing because of you. Yes. So yeah. as a coach, what are things I can do to think about and create maybe experiences that an athlete would be excited to be there or at the practices, want to come back for more? What are things I should be thinking about? Yeah. So when, when you were speaking, then the first thing that came to mind was, so I, like Jason, you mentioned, I did coach gymnastics for many, many years, but I did a stint of coaching gymnastics in France and I can speak French. My father's French, but I'm not hundred percent fluent. And I learned through coaching gymnastics in France that there's a hell of a lot of words that I do not know. And they're all words to do with the human body, like squeeze your muscles, you know, like uh, straighten your leg, all these like action words that I, I just, I'd never used in my experience. So I had to learn to communicate with these little kids. They were like seven, eight in a way that was not language based. And that was very challenging, even as a coach, because a lot of, depending on the sport, a lot of times when you're coaching, you're showing the movement or you're giving some kind of demonstration yourself or with, you know, a guinea pig next to you. But when you remove language from the equation, it's a really, it's a completely different world. And I really struggled. But at the same time, I really asked myself that same question as well is, okay, how can I give these girls standing in front of me an incredible experience tonight for this one hour, for these two hours without being able to communicate properly? And again, it came down to what I mentioned before. And it's how do I want them to how do I want them to feel when they go home to their parents after this? How do I want them to talk about this class when they go to school tomorrow? And obviously, in this particular example, I was working with uh, really young kids, like seven, eight. But when I was coaching gymnastics in Australia, when I grew up in Australia, you know, I, I, a lot of times I was working with teenagers. So I was able to have different conversations. And in, in that instance, I was really thinking, I want to have an impact on these guys. So I need to know what is important to them. I need to know what their goals are, you know, because I may be pushing them down a direction that potentially they don't want to go down or they don't care about, you know, or maybe it is something they deem is important, but it's only because we've told them so. It's not because they feel it. So that's kind of where, depending on the age group, I think, in terms of how deep you can connect with that purpose and that motivation. Um, but I think that is the key. And then how can you communicate them without using language a lot of times? It's an interesting concept to think about. You know, Caroline, uh, my first teaching job, I, I taught at a, a school that was predominantly Hispanic kids that spoke mostly Spanish, right? So like you mentioned, I had to create a physical education class experience and most of them didn't speak the same language as me, you know? So um, if you were to be a mentor of mine, how would you, you know, knowing that you were in a similar situation, what did you do to create a great experience, even though you spoke it, maybe didn't speak the same language as them and you had to use something else besides your words? What did, how did you create that? Yeah, so for me, it came down to connection. I, I wanted to be able to connect with them on a level that didn't include language. 
So, you know, I was very cautious and, and very attentive to how I how I showed up basically from an energy point of view, you know. In France, these were very little kids, you know, seven, eight year olds. So, you know, it was all about energy and smiling and being that kind leader, you know, and really kind of making things quite fun without even using words. And also at the same time, kind of making a bit of an idiot of myself at times, you know, trying to form a connection with them uh, that they were going to respond to. And that worked incredibly well for me. I mean, I didn't think about it too much at the beginning. That was just my default, like, Ugh, I don't know any of the words that I need to use. So I'm just going to kind of like smile and laugh. And then, of course, when you're talking about from a coaching point of view, there's a lot of coaching you can do through actions, right? A lot of the mm -hmm. things I have to show myself. And, it, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd wake up the next day like so sore because I hadn't used those muscles like since I was a gymnast all these years ago. Um, but, yeah, I think it's about if you cannot communicate verbally, it's about the energy because everybody feels energy no matter what, no matter what is the barrier between you two you're going to show up for each other in a way that can actually go a lot further, a lot deeper than, than words. I, I like that when you said like your enthusiasm, your energy smiling, right? Because again, they pick up on that and they almost reflect what it is that you're projecting. And you said something to me and you said fun, have fun. And I know me as a coach over here is like, now nah, we're going to, you're going to be tough. You're going to execute. You're going to do these toughness drills. You're going to figure this out. And, you know, and so we're not having fun, but I do believe more that I've studied and understood and reflect as a coach. It is you want your kids to enjoy the experience. So what are maybe like some fun activities in general? Maybe a coach could do um, and even I hear a lot of times when you're wrapping up a practice, do something fun or an event that they want to come back, that they feel good yeah. about leaving. Right. That they have good energy when they're leaving. So there are fun activities that you suggest that coaches can do? I always found the alternate. I always found that leading with something really fun was oh. how I was going to kind of get them engaged, right? Yeah, you can finish. Of course, finish, how you finish your class is incredibly important because like you said, James, you want them to come back the next day. However, I feel like those first five minutes, those first 10 minutes are really key and that almost will, by default, drive them back, right? And so, again, going back to the energy, I wanted to always do something in the warm-up that was really high energy. So, you know, when you're a coach, you look at gamifying everything, basically. <laughs> and so it was in gymnastics, it was, the, it was all of these little kind of relay races or, you know, I mean, later on it was kind of the floor is lava and you have to use boxes and mats and, and beams and all this kind of equipment to get from one side of the room to the other. You know, sometimes I had no space at all. I had like a little strip of mat because there were so many other people kind of in the gym. So my focus was always like, okay, I want to go out with a bang, let's say, and I want to create that energy and create that connection with them because then we're going to go through the class as a team. We're not going to go through the class as me being very authoritative. And, of course, there's that element that comes into coaching as well. But I found that if I focused on those first 10 minutes and almost set the stage, the rest of the class had this natural fluidity. And by the end, they kind of, didn't want it, didn't want to end, or they wanted to, you know, keep going or try something else. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. The beginning sometimes can create more of an impact than the end. And the other thing too is like music. I know, you know, back in the day when I was playing, of course, it was like 
no, there's no distractions, no music, nothing like that. But anymore, you see a lot of coaches play music before practice, like when practice, you know, warm ups. Uh, maybe it's in between something because music gets that rhythm and mm-hmm. gets people in the groove. Are there things that you add to maybe the experiences like music and things like that that stimulate kind of certain emotions, get people engaged and wanting to you know give their best and, and be at that practice or that event? Yeah, so for me in particular in gymnastics, like usually when you're warming up, there's other groups in the gym. So you don't necessarily have that much say over music is the perfect example over music because then it would it's something that would project to the whole entire gym, you know. And I, I you know, I didn't have the there was other people that were were training and working out. Um, but props was the biggest thing, you know. In a gymnastics hall, you have endless supply of cool, fun props and things that you can make really, really creative. So I always tried to create some activities and create like a really fun vibe straight away through using props in a different way than we would use in normal training session. You know, like you may have a box that you want to do, that usually you would use for like box jumps, let's say, for example. You know, and I tried to think of, okay, how can I use this box? But in a different way, that's a bit crazy. Like that's a bit weird, you know. And um, I remember one, I don't know if you guys have ever done this before, but one that I used to love is it was like a partner work. It was like you did it with a partner. And I, I said, okay, between the two of you, you need to have the following touching the ground, like one foot, one hand, and one elbow. And that's it. And so they had to, especially with young kids, it's hard because, you know, they have to think about them and their teammate. And then, of course, you can make it really easy at the beginning, like two hands, two feet, and then they do the kind of wheelbarrow setup or like a hand flat. But you can get really, really tricky and go like one foot, one elbow. And it's such such a fun, fun activity to start because you can make it super, super hard and then everyone just falls over and they're laughing. And and that's one that I'll never forget because it always worked. Or even if my class was like causing a bit of trouble and I wasn't able to grab that attention, it was always like my default, uh, you know, fun activity to go to because I knew it was really impactful. I I think like you said, though, it's in gymnastics or sports in general, you're so like it's a grind. You know, you're you're drilling stuff and you're constantly doing repetitions. Don't you think for coaches using your imagination to make game games of stuff? When you, I, when I find out I make a game of something, whether it's a drill in basketball or we're doing, the kids get more engaged because it becomes competitive for them. Do you see that as well? Yeah, and and what I would add to that as well is if they can come up with the idea or they can come up with the rules or the game their engagement will, I don't know, double, triple, quadruple, because now they really want it to succeed. They want they want everyone to have fun because it's their idea, right? So sometimes I would almost use that as a, a bit of a cop-out, like, crap, I can't think of anything to do today. And I'm like, right, guys, today you're going to split up into two teams and you have to create, I'd give a challenge, like who can create the best, like, relay team or who can create? And, and because they are using their creativity, they're using their communication, right? They have to communicate with each other. They're trying to work it out as a team, like problem solving. And then they're using like analytical skills because it's like, well, how do we judge this or, or or how do we make it happen? And then you just create this vibe kind of just happens in front of you and you're kind of just standing there like this was the best idea ever, but it didn't even, I have no involvement in it whatsoever. So um, yeah, that's sometimes like a really good idea if you, if you're, or if you just don't have the energy or, 
or you can't think of what to do, like get them to, to create it. Half the time they're gonna love doing that. Now watching you on some of your videos, I've seen you in the Mediterranean, I see you in areas and you got the video, the music and you're talking, you're like, you're a poet. I mean, you're a poet and I don't know if you know it, but I mean, listening <laughs> to you, I don't know who's written some of this, but a question I have for you as a coach, I get so focused in like, we're on a basketball court, we're in this area, this is where I train, this is where we do things. Say, for example, that I wanted to create an experience outside of it. We're traveling to a tournament or something and we're playing, but we're in an area we've never been in. And we can maybe experience this place uh, that we've never been to. What are the things me as a coach I can think of to make it a, a great experience for my team to broaden the horizons, to build maybe better chemistry and have them really enjoy the time? Yeah, you're speaking to a full-time traveler here, right? So I can talk right. about it all day long. Uh, but I will say, before even thinking about activities, this is a conversation that I have a, a lot in kind of with businesses who have teams. And in my experience, when I am trying to think of a new idea, when I need to implement a new strategy, I think oftentimes we underestimate the power of, of our in, in, in this case, our students or our athletes, in my case, you know, the employees. And oftentimes their insights, their ideas, and what they have to say is so incredibly valuable. But us as leaders, sometimes we forget that because we're the leader. We have to show up as the leader. We're the one with the expertise. We're the one with the 20, 30 years experience. And so it is up to us to kind of devise everything. But sometimes if we just ask, some questions to our teams, our, our employees, our athletes, you can get the most incredible insights that can actually create some strategies and ideas for you. So like in this example that we're talking about, I would the first thing I would be doing is asking them, you know, because I might spend so much time devising this crazy plan that I really want to do or that I think is going to be amazing and they're going to hate it. And this and this is really this happened to me so many times because when I was working for Cirque du Soleil, as you mentioned, I was running different experiences for for the guests, the spectators, mainly in the VIP. But there was a few times where I would create the most incredible incentive program. This it was amazing. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever created, and the staff really responded. And then the way it works with us at Cirque du Soleil is we had local staff. So we would change cities or countries every two months, right? Mm. And so one time I had this example where I created this incentive program to help with the sales. It went amazingly well. And then we got to the next city, which was a new country. And I rolled it out like, guys, this is amazing. You're gonna love it. And they hated it. They hated it. They didn't do it. They were like, we want no part in this. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. I was really, I was really shocked. And that was really my first lesson in something that you implement with one group of people may not necessarily work with another. And it is up to you to ask those quality questions and to ask those questions so that you can really see what is important for them, like what matters to them and what excites them, right? And so in this example, I would start, before I even come up with any ideas myself, I'd be asking them, like, how did they want to spend that extra time, you know, because maybe they want to do something more around, like, team building and, like, bonding and learning something, maybe even about leadership. Maybe they want to have no part in that and they want to see something very specific in the city that you didn't think about because, you know, 
they're Gen Z or they're they're even younger than that, and it didn't even come on your radar. So asking them would be the first step for me. Yeah, and Caroline, you mentioned you know leadership and how maybe that's a little bit different than what leadership used to be. And you mm-hmm. said you mentioned asking questions. Are there like two or three questions that are somewhat universal that you can ask different groups of people that maybe you can get insights from where you're not always trying to come up with different questions for each group, but is there like you know, one, two, maybe three that you can get insights from um, to help you kind of understand the group that you're working with? Because you mentioned like you were going to different countries every couple of months yeah. and their, their culture, they, what they enjoy is completely different. Yeah. Yeah, I think from a motivation point of view, is that what you're asking to kind of get? Yeah, like, you know, like you, whenever you mentioned like, hey, one group loved it, the other group hated it. Well, like, you know, did you come up with some questions that you found like, oh, I could ask these questions to any group to get some great insight on, you know, what experiences that they would enjoy or that they would be involved with? Yeah, I, I always started with, learning about them and and that was hard you know in a in a service-based industry it was not it was not that easy because it it was fast-paced we only had a small amount of time together but I found very quickly that the motivation with my groups differed greatly so for example in one city that I was in who everybody knew about Cirque du Soleil Cirque du Soleil was huge in that place it was an honor to work for Cirque du Soleil people these young and it was a young group of students and they couldn't wait to put that on their CV you know that group of people I asked them a lot different questions than a group of people where my staff who were maybe in their 30s or 40s it was like their third job you know, and their motivation really was financial. They didn't really care about Cirque du Soleil, they cared about their paycheck. And so really understanding that very, very quickly was how I was able to get kind of an insight into their motivation and then tailor what I was doing to motivate them, to get them inspired, to get them working really well. So that would be my first step is just just getting a glimpse in some some especially kids and students they're not going to tell you a lot but trying to get an idea about like why are they here like why do they love basketball why did why does someone love gymnastics you know because that's always like the starting point then you can go from there because there's probably a lot of commonalities in the team right you know like if everyone there is in a basketball team there's a good chance that they all have a very similar motivation that the people they look up to their role models they're they're probably similar and there's probably a lot of repeats so you can really use that to to then start making some some changes or some 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 great experiences for them so i hear what you say is like start with the why right that'll tell you a lie just start like hey figure out why they're there in the first place so that's uh that's a good point. Um, and so how have you used that like with your leadership strategies that you do currently? Like what do you do like with now and that's your pastor to slay? How have you used that to develop your leadership, you know, curriculums, your teachings, your instructions with people that, you know, that uh, come and, and seek you out for advice? Yeah, so one of the, I have a leadership program, um, it's called Better Your Leadership, and it's very much targeted towards new managers that are just starting off. It's the first time they've been in a leadership position. That's kind of the target group. And one of the areas that I focus on, one of the lessons is teaching life skills, not tasks, right? And I think oftentimes as coaches, leaders, we focus a lot on the tasks. 
you know, if you're in a work environment, there's a, let's say you're working in a restaurant or something like that. There's so many tasks. It's all operational. If you're a coach, you're, you may be highly focused on, you know, an upcoming competition or, um, you know, some kind of training camp or that they need to in gymnastics. Like we have certain skills that we needed to meet so that they could pass the next level. So all of your focus was there. But what I found was that once I started incorporating this idea of life skills, like teaching that little bit extra that goes beyond the skill itself and really connects with why are we learning this and then how can we how can we use this for more than gymnastics, you know? When whenever I'm coaching someone and training something, training with them, I'm always saying to myself, okay, I want to teach them something that will be beneficial and useful in the next thing they do and then the next mm. thing after that you know um that comes down to really looking at what are the skills that we can teach that are beyond that the repetitions or the drills or or the specific skills like in gymnastics if we would take all the competitions um so yeah that's a bit of a strategy that i coined and and it works really well for me it's like thinking a little bit beyond what's really in front of you right now because their goal might be if we take gymnastics for example like their goal might be I want to be able to hold a handstand for 10 minutes. Okay, but like what what am I teaching them physically in those skills that they can actually use after that, you know? Mm-hmm. Body awareness, self-awareness, you know, um, f- teaching them about failure and how to actually be motivated once you just cannot hold a handstand longer than 10 seconds ever, you know? So that's what I try to think about. And that's the, that's really what I think, my legacy is and what I really try to impress on the people that I work with is kind of going beyond that immediate, what do we need to achieve here right now? So how do, you know, in, in sports in general, you hear it a lot about culture, yeah. building culture, right, uh, to have success. So when you're mentoring, say, a leader and say as, say as a coach, somebody run a sports organization, you have, yeah, it is, you have people of different belief systems and different experiences come from different ethnic ethnic backgrounds. What are some of the strategies suggest you give them things they can do to really build a culture where everybody's focused on the same mission and they're buying into it and kind of rowing the boat, going the same direction. What are things that coaches, administrators can do to get people to buy in and move in that direction? You know, I love talking about culture and I've just, uh, I'm always reading books around company culture and just culture in general, tribal culture. You know, I'm a traveler, so I love learning about different tribal cultures. And what I have found and, and what I've also read a lot on is you can talk about culture all day long, all day, all night. But the key to actually building culture is not talking about it it's experiencing it right Mm -hmm. if i'm standing there in front of my team and i'm going okay you know the culture of this uh training facility or this club or this school is all these things because it's incredibly vague especially when you're speaking to younger the younger people students young young kids it's very vague when you talk about, you know, the mission statement, the vision, you know, what are we really trying to achieve here as a, as a club? And so when you're speaking about that, it's very hard to be connected with that until you actually experience it. And we all know that as coaches, we all know you can try and you can teach someone through words the same thing again and again and again. But until they actually get it, until they get it that first time, they don't connect with it, right? Especially. Mm 
people talking about sports because it's all about, you know, your body and connecting that awareness with your body. Okay, if I straighten my legs, then it will it be more beneficial to me and I'll able, be able to land the skill, let's say, for example. But until I experience it, I'm not going to be able to connect all the dots. So I think as coaches and as leaders, it's not easy. Like I'm not saying it's an easy task, but I think we have to kind of steer away from these are the values, these are these are what we're trying to achieve as a team, I want this for the team, and trying to get to that same result of what you're trying to achieve kind of theoretically, but through experience. So how can they experience, you know, if one of your, if one of your, if one of your vision is really around supporting each other and being a really strong team together, instead of telling them that, how can you create some kind of maybe accountability or fun activities or, or exercises so that they can experience that themselves because then they are going to be like, oh, got it. Okay, now I can see why supporting each other and showing up for each other and cheering each other on is actually really important. So like, for example, when you have people, you know, you, you see it all the time, like acronym, like team. Okay, and you have tenacity, like attitude, right? motivation, whatever it might be. So what you're saying is if you have these maybe words that are going to be kind of a cornerstone of our program, don't just talk about it. Yeah. Let's do things to experience what tenacity is. Maybe take them through some challenges, working together to overcome it. Or, hey, attitude, positive attitude, negative attitude. You're going through negative experience, whatever. Okay, how do we shift to get the positive attitude? Here's what it looks like. So experiencing those things so they're not only they're doing it, they're feeling it. And this is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, standing in front of someone and saying, I need you to be more tenacious. Like no adult would even be able to, to kind of decipher that in their own language. Right. Sounds great in theory. But what does that mean? Like what on earth does that even mean? You know, the only way that you're going to be able to get that end goal, if you want someone to be more, if, if you want tenacity to be like one of the key pillars of your team, they have to they have to experience it and they have to understand what being tenacious means and what happens when you're not when you're not tenacious, like when you're kind of on the other end. Because once we all we all kind of we everyone has a different perspective and, and we we don't experience events by by just looking at them right we attach meaning to events right we attach a meaning things going on so you can talk about it all day long but until someone attaches some meaning to that message personally through their own personal perspective and experience you're not going to be able to shift anything so i think yeah exactly like you can have the most incredibly impressive acronym or you know vision statement that is like on a poster on above the basketball court but i think until you actually have some practical applications with your team you're not going to see much leeway it would just be words it's like when we sing a national anthem like we're just singing the words really unless you have some deep connection to that anthem for whatever reason through your own experience and reality most of us i mean i don't know i don't know if you guys are the same but in my opinion when i sing the australian national anthem which is the only one i really know i'm just singing the words like yeah i feel proud and yeah i feel great but i don't i'm, I'm not connecting with the words per se hey good and this feeling too in coaching i think like if you have like tenacity let's go into that as one of the words and say you lose a game Instead of coming in and yelling at them, you're bums, you, you stink, you're not, you know, like like degrading them and, and like it's in the world. 
it's like, okay, like we talk about it's winning and learning coming in. Okay. What can we learn from this? How yeah. can we get better? Okay. We, we got to get back to practice. We had to get better in these areas. We got to stay tenacious is what we're doing. We're going to stay the course. And now we come back the next game, maybe have better success in what we do. Hey, you showed tenacity. You fought through adversity, right? It's almost like, I feel like it's sometimes in sports, we get so emotionally attached to the scoreboard and we get so up and down. And as coaches, if we're going to have these acronyms, we got to live it out too. be an example of what we're trying to have our athletes be, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you also have to think in those kind of situations, especially with sports where there's winning and losing involved and achievement and, and failure, if you will, we're, we're, we're coaching and guiding young people, right? So, you know, I learned as a gymnast, I was a gymnast for almost 15 years, you know, I was constantly in that cycle of failure and achievement and that just became part of who I am. But the result of that was that I was highly perfectionist and it actually had a negative impact when I started to go beyond school and the the um, kind of the parameters of success were a lot more vague you know when you're in your in adulthood parameters of success you know are just kind of what you make of them but at school there's very clear winning and losing and so I, I think that we have to think about what is that effect what is the effect that it's having on these young students and athletes right like if we're going if we're losing a game for example yeah of course as the coach we may be really we're, we may be really upset you know we should have won that one that was an easy one to win like they really didn't play very well you know they just missed the easiest shots but they're probably feeling a thousand times worse than you right and so creating that environment of, like you said, James, of that kind of conversation, how can we have that conversation in those moments so we can actually show firsthand what being tenacious means and what kind of getting back getting back up really means, you know, in a physical sense, not just, not just uh, in a theoretical sense or an abstract sense. Yeah, so I hear you say is basically experience the acronym, right? It's kind of like, you know, because a lot of us are really good at coming up with these creative things, but then it's one thing to, to say them. It's another thing to show them, right? So it's it's important to show them. And so, um, and now we get to the phase, Caroline, where we go into our four questions with 40 athletes. So it's kind of like a four okay. questions on like what you've learned in sports and, and how you've applied them in your life. So the first question is, what's the best life lesson that you've learned in sports? Um... I think I really learned, because I was in gymnastics, I was in an individual sport, right? But I was also part of a team. And when I got to high school, I played a lot of sports in high school. Like I was the captain of hockey, like field hockey team, also of the track and field team. And so I went from being like a very solo athlete to now kind of being in this team environment. And when I, when I think about that entire experience and almost that transition, I think about the fact that we need to be, we need to work hard and show up and, and be unique and creative and skilled ourselves. But then we also have to think about how that uniqueness and that skill and, and that creativity of ours actually can become an asset for a team, right? Mm -hmm. And that of course applies to every part of our life, in our family, in our work, in our, you know, sports, no matter what it is. And so I think that that's huge for me. It's like, what, who am I, who am I individually? And then how can I really harness those incredible skills that I have and that I'm proud of and that I'm confident with so that we can then really use them and, 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 and really um, uh, 
really kind of contribute to to the team that I'm in. Yeah, it's almost like you know you you accept your role and and you believe and you do the best with your role because you know it's good for the whole team, whatever your role may be, right? So uh, that's uh, that's always something good to keep in mind for myself, especially as a coach, because sometimes you might like think that. Uh, I have to come up with all the answers or something like that. I'm like, well, maybe give your players a shot to see if they come up with something better than yourself. You know, I don't. I I live and breathe that. Honestly, it's such an underrated strategy in sports in 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 the workforce. It's so underrated. Sometimes yeah. your teammates just have such incredible because I offer because they're the ones experiencing it. Right mm -hmm. in my work, you know, with Cirque du Soleil. Yes, I was the expert in in what we were doing, but they were the ones actually scanning the tickets, pouring the drinks of the guests. They were escorting them to the big top. Same with sports. You may come up with the, the most amazing drill, but it's your athletes that are actually doing it. It's not you, right? So asking their experience, like, was that great, you know? And they might have a very different answer to what you perceive was an incredible activity. So ask, ask, ask. I, I cannot say it enough. That's great. Yeah, and I, I think I saw one time where, you know, being a great question asker is one of the most undervalued skills. So I think that's one that I'm going to try to hold in better as being a better question asker. Um, so the second you know, one is this. Sorry to, to interrupt, but I just heard a quote uh, the other day, and it was quality questions equals quality life. And I, I wrote it on my wall. I never forgot that. It's such a good one, I think. I'm going to add that to my quote book as well. Yeah. Quality <laughs> questions equal quality. Jimmy, remember that one, okay? Well. Okay, so hopefully we're getting some quality questions here for yourself, actually. Yeah. And number two is if you could spend time with anyone in sports that you admire, either alive or passed away, who would it be and why would you pick them? So I think uh, the number one person that I grew up just admiring who was my hero was Nadia Comaneci. And for anyone that doesn't know who she is, she's the first, she's a, was a, is a Romanian gymnast She's the first gymnast to ever score a perfect 10, which in gymnastics was at the time thought impossible. So she's a legend. She's an absolute legend in the sport. Uh, now she's in the States um, with her own gym. But I grew up, she actually had a document, not a documentary, like a, it was a movie about her. I watched it every single weekend on Saturdays when I got home from gymnastics. My parents and my sisters just hated it. I knew all the <laughs> Without fail for years. Like if there was a way to get a VHS tape and like see how many times that you've actually watched that back, I the number would be astronomical. But she was she was it for me. Like she was my biggest role model and she was the most incredible person, you know, because of what she did for the sport of gymnastics. And so I would love to have a conversation with her. I would love to interview her on, on the experience creators. But she she's the first person that came to mind. What was, the, what was the documentary called or the movie called? What was it called? It's called Nadia. Like, it's a super old school. Yeah. Like, it was probably made, like, I think it was actually, now that I think of it, it was released just before the 1992 Olymp Barcelona Olympics, I think, when I need. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. But just before, so it was like, uh, like late 80s, early 90s, VHS tape, like, um, but it was Classic, called Nadia. Yeah. It was like about her life. Yeah, it was it was from when she was young and when she got discovered um, all the way up to uh, when she when she went to the Olympics and, and had that incredible first perfect 10. So she she was big at the time when they had the dream team. The basketball dream mm -hmm. team was coming. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what uh, question number three is, what is the best advice you receive from a coach, mentor that you've, you know, played under, um, you know, worked with, been around? Oof, that's very hard. Um, I think I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is really that idea of of believing in yourself, you know, and it's such a cliche kind of thing to say and it's on every T-shirt, I feel. Um, but I think it's really, really, it's really important when you're young and you're playing sports especially and, and you're coming up and you're, you know, a lot of times you're so unsure about yourself, especially when you're a teenager. Gosh, we all remember that, you know. And you just, there's so many insecurities there. And even if you're very great at something, there's always something that is going to tear that down. And a lot of times that's that's internal, right? And so I think especially as a gymnast, I think that when I saw how much belief and faith my coach had in me, whether it was through words or just through actions, that had such an impact on me. And, and still to this day, like I, I, even now I'm thinking of like certain kind of moments where um, I remember one time I won this like, it was at a club competition and I won like the coach's award and um, which is kind of like the teacher's pet. That's what, how everyone's for it. But <laughs> I was very proud of it because it wasn't about my skill as a gymnast because I wasn't, I, I was good, but I wasn't, you know, elite or anything like that. But this award was really about kind of commitment and dedication and 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 really showing up. And, and I was very proud of that award. Like I, I, I still remember it to this day receiving it. I can still picture it. And so I think that's the biggest kind of lesson that I got is now on the flip side as coaches, if you can really show your team how much you believe in them and it doesn't have to be necessarily through words you don't you underestimate the impact that you're that you're having on someone and you may not find out until you know 20 years later and they randomly message you and, and tell them how much they impacted you so yeah that would be my last opinion. night i had an eighth grader coach basketball and this kid's gotten better i mean you you know he's uh he just hasn't been coached a lot through the years uh of understanding how to play so last night we're playing and he ends up getting the ball. He made a couple of good plays and he did something and somebody, uh, you know, players like, Oh, go, don't take that or shoot that, whatever. He goes, I'm not a good basketball player. And I, and I looked at him and said, don't ever say that again. Never. I said, you tell yourself you, you, you're a great basketball player. You're going to be, are you bleeding? I said, drop down, do 10 push-ups." I said, don't ever say that again. And yeah. he dropped down and did him. Then I brought them all in. I said, like, Jason, we talk about is like, can't, like, drop the T and can't. I can or not yet. But don't say I can't. The power of the word, the spoken word, right? So I reinforce, like, I don't want to hear that again. And I think as coaches, we can really help our athletes by helping them understand their inner voice, the dialogue they have, things they're saying to themselves. No, don't say that. Replace it with this. Even if it's not what you want, maybe not yet, but see it, continue to work toward what you want, and you'll get better as you do that. Yeah, it's like teaching life skills, not tasks, right? Yeah, very <laughs> yeah, like, much. And, and the thing is, why sports are so incredible early on is they just teach you so many incredible skills that you use for the rest of your life. And like you with this student, you you have the ability to shape them and to really help mentor them in a way that is just the impact is just going to be huge, you know, and, and you just can't anticipate it. So it's it's pretty magical, like when you think about it from that point of view, I think. Okay, last question I have for you. If 
you're a coach and a team, your athletes are running your business, somebody working for you. What is one life skill character trait that you'd want them to have? And you had one to choose, what would it be? I think uh, self-awareness for sure, uh, hands down. How can we communicate how we feel and how can we understand how we feel, right? I was speaking recently, uh, one of the lessons in my program is around triggers, understanding our own triggers. And I think that's a very complicated area, right? Because there's a lot of your own experience attached to it and your own defaults and your own belief systems. But when we are able to have an awareness around how we show up and, and what triggers us and what motivates us and, and how we converse with people and how we express our feelings, I think you are just one step ahead of everyone else. And I think that even as adults, like I coach, I do a lot of coaching around that with my clients. You know, it's it's not easy and and it's it's very deep. You have to do a lot of kind of deep learning. But as a coach, if you are able to, just like you did with that player, like have this, show this level of understanding of, okay, saying that you're not a good basketball player, like what does that actually mean? You know, why are you saying that? Why is that your belief system? Something probably happened to make him feel that way, right? Or for the most part, for young people, some bully told him that he was a terrible basketball player and now he believes it. So I think for coaching, trying to influence and trying to teach self-awareness, whatever that means to you and in your team is huge because then you're going to be able to communicate in a much different way. You know, we've all had the, the I can think of so many of my gymnasts who completely shut down, you know, you, you, you reprimand them or you tell them that's not the right way to do it or they're getting frustrated and they completely shut down because they don't have that ability to communicate how they feel. And for you as a coach, it's then very hard to, you're just guessing now, right? You're kind of just going, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with this communication strategy as opposed to this one. And so if they are able to communicate at least a little bit, you know, start that process of this is how I feel, I acknowledge it, and now I'm going to voice it because I know if I voice it, I am actually going to be able to make a positive change because my coach will understand me better and we will be able to kind of talk it out, if you will. So that but, I, but I like that when, you know, like, for example, explaining to the individual about what you're saying and why that's maybe not beneficial for you and maybe say different things. But as you said, be curious, be curious. Okay. As a coach, you said, ask questions. And I like the thing you said, you know, ask the question but quality questions give you quality answers right yeah, yeah, so if sure. i'm asking that student athlete hey like you said what what is it why what does it happen that makes, makes you think this way what's going on right and it might be something to me as a coach that i've done right, right. I know i've done things where and, and sometimes we communicate in a way that we think we're communicating and they hear it a certain way but they heard it a different way yeah. so if you said if i'm asking a question i'm finding out it might come back they might say something I did. Yeah. Now yeah. I have to now correct it, make them more aware of this so we can move forward and say, no, that's not what I was meaning by that. You know? Yeah. And, and even from a skill set point of view, right? Like they may, this, this young student may think that he's a terrible basketball player because of something when he does like free throw shots, right? You know, like maybe that's his, maybe that's his kind of um, reference point to why he's such a bad basketballer because he never gets a free throw, you know? So 
for you to have that understanding of that, now you spend five minutes with him at the free throw line and teach him, I don't know, like something different to how he's doing it. And now all of a sudden, this confidence rushes in, but you never would have known that had you not had that conversation and had hit had he not kind of brought it up. So to your point, like get curious and ask questions because, you know, I know in gymnastics, for example, it's very, I mean, the history is very authoritative, right? Like it's very strict. It's very, and that's how I, that's how I was coached. And for me, there was nothing wrong with that. And I think now as we're becoming a lot more emotionally intelligent, we're realizing that it's not the best strategy, you know, if you really want to get the best out of your out of your athletes and your students and your your employees. And so how can we how can we just really encourage that self-awareness, that curiosity, that that conversation um, exchange so that we can get a little bit more deeper into what the issue is because oftentimes it'll be a super quick fix maybe, you know, or like you said, you may have said just one passing comment to this kid and he's held on to that forever, you know, and you didn't even, you don't even remember saying it. So you just never know until you ask. Caroline, uh, thank you for uh, coming on today and giving us so many different uh, you know, perspectives and such great knowledge, uh, knowledge nuggets today. Where can people find you and uh, how can they contact you? Yeah, so um, my website is carolinemailey.com. It's just my full name. And that's also the same the same tag on Instagram as well. Um, and then my interview series is on YouTube and it's called The Experience Creators. So a couple different places, but um, I show up the same in, in all those places. So, yeah, I'd love to connect with anyone. Oh, great, Two things I'm going to think about you today. One is if I go eat at Outback Steakhouse, I'm going to be thinking about <laughs> you right there, the Australians. My wife loves the Aussies. And the second thing is my sons. The other day I had practice. I said I couldn't go. It was like 70 degrees in Kansas City. And they went to the park by our house and they got on the monkey bars. And my one son's like, he's eight year old. Year old. He's like, Daddy, I went all the way forward and I went back all the way. I got to show you today. So when you go on the monkey bar, say, I mean, thinking about you being these little gymnasts, maybe running around. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Outback, uh, it's called the Outback, right? That yeah, right? I think it's like an Americanized version. I don't really think that's very Australian. <laughs> There's one like Blooming Onions, I think. Yeah, Blooming Onions. <laughs> no Australian has ever eaten a Blooming Onion. <laughs> that's so, Yeah. <laughs> That's like saying, hey, you're going to a Mexican restaurant, I'm going to go to Taco Bell, I think. It's kind of like yeah, the similar. Yeah, yeah. Jason, how do you do that Aussie accent? What is that? What is your oh, look at that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did that one time in college because there was a we had a guy coming in from Australia, and I didn't think before I talked very much. And so like he uh, introduced me and said, hey, my, my name's Sam. I was like, oh, good day, mate. And I was like, oh, that was probably the wrong mm -hmm. first impression. Uh <laughs> But uh, it worked out. We were friends afterwards. I was just like trying yeah. to make him feel welcome. But hey, there's this like Midwestern dude trying to have an Australian accent, and it uh, <laughs> needs some work, quite frankly. So I'm sure many people have butchered your own accent. So well, <laughs> it goes both ways. Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> Caroline, thanks again for coming today, and uh, we'll catch up with you real soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you so much. much. This has been amazing. Bye. Appreciate. It. Thank you. And if you're looking to transform your athletes, teams, organizations by teaching them essential life skills through sports, like what Caroline mentioned, is what she emphasizes. Uh, join our join our club, our course, uh, 40athletes.com, where you can enroll, or you can also sign up and subscribe to our YouTube video, our YouTube channel at 40athletes.com. Um, there you'll be able to access all 24 weeks of our courses and get a better idea of how we're using essential life skills 
to improve athletes' lives and parents and coaches. Uh, thank you again for joining, and we'll see you all again next week on the 40 Athletes Live podcast.